Welcome to the Mindful Medicine Podcast. I, Juliana Zapatel, will be your host, bringing in experts to discuss a holistic approach to well-being, using Eastern philosophy and Western research. Today, I welcome Aubrey, a certified breathwork and psychedelic-assisted therapy facilitator. She started her own community-based wellness organization called Philodose. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Aubrey. I am speaking to you from the occupied land of the Lenape tribe here in Pennsylvania. Um, I am a certified breathwork and psychedelic assisted therapy facilitator. I've done a lot of work in this space for quite a long time now. Um, my my start to my journey was in 2016, and I have worked since then um, serving ketamine assisted therapy, the Sound Mind Institute, and that has really um, developed into me creating my own business called Philodose, which is a community-based wellness organization here in Philly. And we really play multiple roles in this uh, space. So we, one, have like a marketing that aims to create a platform for local people who are looking to um, build their business in the plant medicine space or in the wellness space. Besides that is really my specialty is breath work. So we have a course that I created and we are now about to start our second cohort on May 2nd um, called Breathwork Journey Breathwork Experiential Course. So um, lots of different things, but I think, you know, to sum it up briefly, in all of my work, I'm really passionate about helping people connect with their bodies through their breath and movement as well as medicine, as a way to uh, create liberation individually and collectively. Yeah, that's amazing. Are these offerings all in person or do you do some online work as well? It's actually mostly online. Um, I do take one-on-one clients in person now and I am doing some in-person workshops, but most of this is virtual, yeah. And so 2016 is kind of before all of this became super mainstream. Has the clientele and interest changed over time as it's become more I guess, accepted as part of Western medicine? Yeah, well, that's a great question because and really interesting because as I was just getting started in this space, um, which started with me having my own personal plant medicine experience, um, some of the messages that I received during those first few ceremonies was to go and get certified in breath work and go get certified in yoga. Um, as an entry point. Um, But at the time, it was not legal. It's still not legal. And we still have a really long way to go um, in order for these medicines and treatments to be accessible to the general population, really just not in the mainstream news media at all. Um, But it's been around for hundreds of thousands of years in indigenous communities um, that have really carried and held these medicines. For me, it wasn't accessible to go and train in Brazil or in Costa Rica in the jungle. Um, So I had to find another way to get into the space. And that was through breath and yoga first initially. And so in terms of the clientele, um, yeah, there is a huge shift in the people who are now interested in this type of work. I also do believe that um, the energy that we put out, we get back and we attract. Um, So I tend to attract people that are already working in the mental health space or have been on this like self-care wellness journey for some time now rather than beginners. Um, But I do work with people from 
you know, the, the whole sp spectrum. So from beginners to advanced practitioners. Um, but a great example of that is my 80 year old great uncle reached out to my mom and said, Hey, I heard Aubrey does um, psychedelic assisted therapy facilitation. And I'm really interested in it. I've been hearing it. I heard about it on the New York times and, and he's a 80 year old Jewish man, you know, it's just not somebody you would probably expect to be interested in psychedelic work. Um, so we are seeing a change now and who is interested in this type of work than all those years ago, for sure. I mean, it's amazing that it's becoming so much more accessible and talked about in the West, but also it almost kind of takes away some of the roots of like the indigenous people who've practiced this for so long and almost taking that away from them to a degree as well. So, you know, how do you like balance those two things of honoring that and also using it in the West? Mm. Well, yeah, that's a, I mean, this is an important point to talk about always and something that is really important to me um, as a woman of color. And, you know, we do see with the com commercialization um, of these medicines that it often negatively impacts indigenous communities who, again, have worked with these medicines for so many years now, and it's really ingrained in our culture. Um, so there's there's tons of like debates. We'll see like Chakruna and different organizations that have conversations and different um, webinars about this. But I would say in people's like individual work, I think a really important piece is being able to monetarily give back to these communities. So if you're doing this work, forming a, a personal connection. So maybe it is taking time to visit some um, ayahuasqueros in Brazil and or even some native people in America and in North America and really taking the time to understand how these medicines are used and the lineage that exists because the lineage and the tradition is really what helps to keep the medicine in this really sacred container where a lot of the healing happens. My personal experience is that it is the container in which is set um, for you to experience these different levels of healing on the energetic realm. Um, so monetary contribution, um, forming a personal relationship with the medicines and the lineage and respecting the traditions that you are then learning from by not appropriating. So if it's not part of your own lineage and you haven't been trained in those practices, really doing the work to look into your own cultural history because we all have this rich uh, tradition that maybe we don't even know about. And I think a lot of us Americans don't really always know how deep and how rich our personal history is. So taking that time and then incorporating your own practices is such a powerful way for you to connect deeper with your roots and to pay respect to the carriers of the medicine. Yeah, yeah, I love that response. I'm curious how you hold this container for people when you're leading a ceremony do you help them create an intention around the space and then do you also stay with them through the integration process yeah um so it's it can be quite a lengthy process and i think that is necessary um, when you're doing this work because it is so deep and can hit so many different points of trauma or bring up things from your past um, so in terms of holding and creating a container for someone, I always like to tell my clients that the journey starts the moment you decide to have your session or have your ceremony, um, because energetically, you're already preparing for it mentally, 
you're already preparing for it. So um, kind of taking away this idea or moving away from this idea of the journey being the peak experience or like the main experience. And it's really the whole process. It's a more integrated approach. So what this looks like is somebody reaching out for ketamine assisted therapy rehabilitation, for example. And um, first they would fill out a medical intake form, which is culturally sensitive, asking questions about um, their personal history, some of their religious and cultural traditions, like we talked about, if they, if they have experienced any discrimination based on their race, gender, sexual identity, things like this. Um, and also the medical part of it as well, making sure that um, there's no contraindications for the work, because that's really important, of course, safety first. And if that all clears from the medical intake, um, then we move forward to have a consultation call. So we will have a call, usually on Zoom, and we'll talk through things that came up on that medical intake, as well as anything else. And I'll also discuss the whole process with them. So that's what can be a little bit lengthy on that call of just discussing kind of the various steps of like, okay, so next, I'll connect you with a provider who will also take you through a medical intake form. Um, that is the doctor and that can prescribe the medicine for you. So then they'll have to go through that step. And then we will have a preparation call. So once they're cleared by the doctor to receive their medication, we'll have that, that final call before their actual session, their journey. And in that session, kind of to your point, Juliana, that's when we're really getting into intention. Um, what is the ceremony day going to look like? Um, will touch be involved? Um, is Are there any fears or concerns that you have? Is there anything that hasn't come up yet or since our last conversation that we need to talk about now? So that's really like the time where we get to dig deep and get a little bit um, more personal. And then we would get into the ceremony day. And so they, the person would come in, we would again talk about intention. Sometimes we'll pull a tarot card if they feel comfortable with that. Sometimes we won't. It depends on the person. And um, also depending on that person's preference, I will do a cleansing sage or cedar or palo santo. And then we would get into the session. And so like a ketamine session, for example, lasts anywhere from one to two hours, the medicine itself. So I typically hold the sessions for about three hours. And then we would follow up. So I'm following up the next day just to make sure that they are okay and um, see if anything has come up since their journey the day previously. And then an integration session. And that typically takes place within a week from the journey or the session itself, usually done over Zoom. And during the integration session, we are covering a range of topics. So for me, there is no one way to look at it. Right. Integration is really incorporating the insights and the downloads that you received during your medicine journey into your life over time and also into your community. So this doesn't have to look any specific way. So I just had a great call with um, a student from my course. I was actually on her podcast prior to her being a student in the course. And she's gone through a round, many rounds of, of ketamine treatment at this point and was feeling like she wasn't doing the work she needed to be doing to integrate. And so I told her something that's really helped me personally. Try to take one main thing 
from your journey because sometimes there's usually there is so much content that presents itself that could be about your mom or um, something from your childhood or maybe it's about a traumatic experience you've had in your life or maybe it's about your relationship right like whatever this happened whatever it could be there's so much that can come up during a journey and sometimes we get overwhelmed in the integration process thinking like okay each day I need to be like diving into the or, or I'm not doing the work and I totally want to like change that idea because sometimes it's really about focusing on like one or two things that seemed most present for you and then working with that every day so an example would be um, I just did a ceremony about three weeks ago and one of the main messages of my journey was to do less to receive more and so that has been something for me, that's been a big part of my integration work. It's not necessarily that every day I'm like going back into my journal and I'm writing about this. I do sometimes maybe once or twice throughout the week and that's integration in itself. Um, but for me, that looks like maybe sitting down in my 10 minute practice in the morning and repeating that affirmation a few times or when I'm working and I'm overstressed or I'm not listening to my body, it's reminding myself to do less and receive more. So sometimes it could be literally just changing one thought, one negative thought pattern a day. That is being committed to your integration process. Um, and it can also be really helpful to work with someone that that has studied in integration um, and can kind of work through archetypes and different um different practices in psychology that can really support that process even more, but it doesn't have to be like that. And one last thing I want to mention here as well is that um, as we were talking about like the indigenous practices and traditions, you know, here in North America, our society is not set up for us to um, have an optimized integration process, which is usually through community. And so if you are, if you have attended a retreat and that's how you experience the medicine, a great part of integration work is like connecting with those people and just like connecting with those people is integration work, you know? So um, I think there's so many ways to view it and just to trust that as long as you are doing your best each day to, um, to do the work that that is your integration. I really uh, appreciate how you take off some of the pressure around integration, because especially when people are balancing, you know, so many responsibilities in their day to day and to feel that overwhelm, like you need to be working on yourself at all times can kind of almost be counterproductive. So, yeah, um, I'm curious, yeah. the clients that you work with, are they mostly coming in with mental health concerns or trauma or like physical ailments? Kind of what is like the general thing that they're looking to work through? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say in general, people that are coming to do this work with the breath and somatic work, in general, people are coming in with a lot of anxiety, right? Or um, hypervigilance in their nervous system where their nervous system is really dysregulated and maybe it's showing up as inability to sleep, racing thoughts. Um, or just difficulty handling like day-to-day -day life. Um, and so anxiety is probably like the most present um, symptom of 
some state of disharmony in people's bodies. And it's no wonder we live in a world that is completely overstimulated, physical pain, chronic pain. That's not usually why people will will seek out my services, but is a benefit that people can receive in reducing pain levels through working with their body and their fascia and the breath. And then also just other mental health disorders. You know, um, I work with some people who are struggling with bipolar, and depression. Depression is definitely a big one. Um, but I do really like to really put faith in the cosmology of Quirinarismo, which believes that every physical, let's say, disease or disorder or symptom is starting always on the energetic level and then is manifested into the physical. So that pattern of disharmony that's living. So I, I I don't like to pathologize people. And I think that um, Western psychology has not done a great job of making people feel like, um, or really has done a good job of making people feel like they're broken or they've got a problem like depression that then they completely identify with. And it's challenging them to, for them to heal because they identify with this disorder or this um, disease, whatever that might be. And so, the opposite view is just really believing that, as I just mentioned, any any pattern of disharmony that's lived in that state frequency for a certain amount of time will then manifest as a disease or a symptom, and that everything is reversible as long as you have the intention and the will, right? As long as you really want it and you have the intention and the awareness around it, you can begin to heal it. Um, so I think that's all really important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that leads me into um, just what results you've seen from the clients you've worked with, because a lot of time, like you're saying in Western medicine, it's kind of putting a bandaid on the problem or maybe getting rid of the symptoms, but not looking into the roots and kind of telling people that this is just how they are. And there's kind of limited things they can do about it. So with medicine journeys, do you notice a very different shift in how people relate with their mental health? The benefit of working with plants and the breath is that you are able to almost shut down the prefrontal cortex and the default mode network, which then gives you access to your subconscious mind. And it's in our subconscious that all of our programs are living. Um, And so when we're able to essentially thin that veil, we have the ability to reprogram. And we know through neuroscience that there is so much neurological flexibility and that the brain is plastic which is amazing. So it's, you know, science is really matching up with so much of what Eastern medicine and indigenous communities have known for so long and that we always have the ability to heal ourselves and that the medicine lies within. Um, And so breathwork helps in the same way through um, essentially thinning that veil and moving the body from a sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state in the nervous system allows us to slow down and through this slowing down it resets the nervous system so that we can then um, begin to decrease anxiety um, promote emotional release we can boost our mood because we have all of these happy chemicals rushing through the body like dopamine dopamine and serotonin um, which also increases self-esteem 
We're also able to um, regulate our bl blood pressure, which is super important. And breathwork has been shown to, a regular breathwork practice rather, has been shown to help people who are struggling with heart disease or even be preventative in any heart issues in the future. Um, and then I think on a really, really uh, broad level, it enhances psychological flexibility. So, you know, some of those those uh, thought patterns that are negative and that inner critic um, that tend to be really prevalent, right? especially with depression and anxiety, the rumination that we can experience with our thoughts um, can be really challenging to overcome. And so through the practice of breath work and through the support of plant medicine in a safe and comfortable set and setting, you're able to again, rewire yourself and create new ways of living, new ways of being, and just really feel better in your body. And so that was really my experience the first time I, I had experience with plant medicine. I remember sitting while I was on the medicine, sitting, looking out the window, looking at um, a candle that was outside. And it was really interesting because as a little girl, I was sad a lot of the time. And I had a lot of, I had a lot of positive aspects in my life. And I also had some traumatic aspects in my life as a little girl. And so I was looking out at this candle and as a kid, I always would look at a flame or fire and like feel this like deep sadness or like this deep longing for something. And I didn't know what it was. And when I was on the medicine, having this moment or this experience, just sitting and, and staring into the flame, I felt I I felt like I could see myself for the first time without all of the sadness, without all of the bad things or challenging things that have happened in my life. I was able just to see myself in my highest potential, the best version of Aubrey. And I hold that hope for all of the people that I work with and people that are doing this work in general, because you know, it is not a magic pill. It's not something that you will just take once and your whole life is going to be different. That's where integration comes in. But really taking the time to be intentional with this process, you can have so many and you can see so many benefits in so many different areas of your life. And what made you want to take a journey the first time that you decided to take that step was there something in your life that pushed you in that direction yeah yeah so my um well I was very young I was 21 when I had medicine for the first time and I was raised as a Jehovah's witness so we were not able to do yoga work meditation definitely not psychedelic medicine <laughs> um so very limited in what I could do as a child and as a young adult and I was in that religion until I was about 20 um and so for me I always had this interest in like holistic medicine when I was a little girl I thought that I wanted to be an OBGYN and deliver babies um, I actually went to school in my first year at Howard for biology and was trying to kind of figure out like, what was my passion? What was I going to be uh, focused on in my career and in my life? Um, and I had the fortunate experience when I was about 21, um, finding out that my friend passed due to suicide, one of my best friends in high school and college. Um, so that was a real wake up call for me. 
And it was really like my dark night of the soul because I had never experienced loss like that from someone I was so close to, especially at such a young age. Um, and we still don't really know why, right? Why she did it. And I think that happens to a lot of people and families and friends of people who go through that experience. Um, but I imagine there's some sort of depression, right? That was happening or some mental health um, things that she was dealing with and didn't have the support or just didn't know the tools. And I was feeling similarly at the same time. At that time in my life, I had my two kids. I was married. I was living in a house in the suburbs. So I like, was doing everything that I thought I should be doing. Um, but with that, I was not feeling good. I was really depressed and I was feeling a lot of anxiety. And again, I did not have the tools to deal with that at the time. And um, what was interesting is I was working at a cryotherapy office because I was interested in like health and the body and cryotherapy was so interesting to me. And during one of our slow days, one of my coworkers, Ed, showed me um, a DMT, the spirit molecule on Netflix with Rick Strassman and some of his uh, studies with uh, DMT. And it was amazing to me. And that, that, documentary they they spoke about ayahuasca because that's the primary compound in uh, dmt is the primary compound in ayahuasca and it was just mind-blowing i was like if i ever could have the chance to um, go back to my past and understand some of the things that have happened um and also i have never had a great memory and so i feel like i blocked a lot of things out when i was a child and so i really wanted to kind of undo that blockage and see what was really going on. Um, but I didn't think that it was possible for me to do that, right? I had limited knowledge at the time. I thought I would have to travel to Peru. I didn't think I had, um, I didn't have the resources to do that. And I didn't want to go by myself. And I thought no one in, in their right mind would go with me. <laughs> so that was my introduction basically to it. Um, and then so I truly believe that when you are ready to do medicine work, that the medicine calls you. And that can take many different forms, but usually it's in the form of coming into your awareness more and more until the opportunity presents itself for you to actually go and experience it. Um, and that was what happened for me. And I, I had no idea of that at the time, but a month later, my father called me and asked me and my sister, if we would want to go down to Costa Rica and experience an ayahuasca ceremony. Um, and so for me, I was like, of course, I would absolutely love to. I was just, I've been thinking about this for the last month nonstop. Never thought I would be able to do it. Um, so I think that's definitely the universe calling out. And I do want to mention that I was very privileged um, to be able to fly to Costa Rica in this experience and, um, and do it in that way. But yeah, that was my introduction. It was not without fear. It was not without anxiety. I had like your typical ayahuasca dreams of like a snake engulfing me days before, you know, and it, it was not easy. I did a dieta for three weeks in preparation, which is really important, especially for certain medicine. Um, but I was ready. You know, I was at a really low point in my life and I knew that um, I needed something uh, that would really kind of wake me up from this depression. I've never really been into pharmaceutical medications. They have a lot of side effects. They can be very supportive for some people. Um, but, you know, for me, the holistic approach, which 
was a ceremony that is led by people who have carried these medicines for a long time um, was really important and I think supportive in my process. Yeah, and so for people who may have some more fear around doing a whole journey and letting go to that extent, uh, I know there's some new stuff coming out now about microdosing, especially with psilocybin and LSD. Do you ever do that with anyone that you work with or have you done that yourself? And kind of what is your experience or what do you know about the effectiveness of microdosing? Wow, that's a great question. So microdosing um, can be very supportive for a lot of people, um, especially with anxiety, especially with depression. Um, but there isn't a ton of research on it. And I think the biggest reason for that is um, that in research studies, you typically need to have a very uh, contained environment and situation, right? It needs to be controlled. And so for these higher dose sessions like MDMA, for example, you can have your therapist in the room and your eight hour session with the patient and the prep and the integration, it all makes sense. With microdosing, that's a lot harder to do because microdosing should be subperceptual, meaning that it is such a small dose of medicine that you're not actually noticing the effects, um, which can be challenging to explain to people who are doing it for the first time. You know, it's like, how do I know if it's working if I'm not supposed to feel it? <laughs> but there are ways in which we we can know that it's working and then you can begin to sense um, the effects that it is having in your life. But it is subtle. So I would compare microdosing very much to a, an ongoing breathwork practice, that it's working on a subtle level in your energy. Um, so microdosing can be really supportive for people who want to do a larger journey, but maybe have never worked with psychedelic medicine before. So introducing the medicine into your system a little at a time in these very small ways. So typically it's a tenth of a full dose. So like with uh, psilocybin, for example, you are taking 0.1 grams, which is a tenth of one gram, right? And one gram is still a low journey, but it's a low, um, higher dose. And so when you're moving through a microdosing process, there are so many different protocols now that are available for people to follow. But I typically like a protocol where you are microdosing um, two days out of the week and that you're spacing those days out so that you can actually notice the effects again because we know it's so subtle it's subperceptual so what you might notice is an enhanced sense of uh, touch or colors might be a little bit brighter or an enhanced sense of smell things that are so so subtle but you might be able to to notice them if you're really paying attention and so really what the whole process is about is optimizing your life. It's about creating this sense of openness, of, of connection. And so I encourage people to have a protocol to microdose, I'm sorry, microdose for maybe two months, maybe three months. Uh, you could just do it, you know, recreationally when you're going on a walk, on a hike, and that's incredible too, right? That can be so supportive of people's healing and journey. Um, but if you're looking for, you know, some um, bigger, longer term changes in your life, I would say do it consistently for that amount of time. And so you do want to start with the lowest dose possible. So let's just say with psilocybin, that looks like 0.1. Um, and then you maybe take that 0.1 grams twice a week 
a few days apart, starting not on a day when you have to do work, because in case you do feel it, you don't want to, you don't want to be having difficulty when you have to interact with other people or do something that's important. And then maybe you would increase your dosage to 0.2. People increase it to 0.3. If you go any higher than that, 0.4, 0.5, it goes a little bit over a microdose. Um, But you do need to kind of calibrate your dose and you need to see what is the right amount for you because we do start to build up a tolerance over time. Um, So it isn't just important to know, yeah, just to take your time, see how you feel. If maybe one day you take a little bit too much and things start to move, you've taken too high of a dose and you need to go back down. Um, But last thing I want to say about microdosing is I think, again, it's really important to set an intention. Your intention might be different from day to day, but in general, let's say you were looking to create a healthier sense of relationship, right? And so that is your intention. And so maybe in your microdosing days, you are repeating that to yourself and then you are doing some, um, some work, maybe some exercises around relationship or you decide on these days um, to call a friend and, and talk to them. If that's something you, you want to improve in your life. So I think that's how you really see the improvements. It's, it's about that continued effort on your part, aside from the medicine and the medicine will support that psychological flexibility and this opening that you are creating. Yeah. Totally. Um, so we have a, only a few minutes left, but um, I wanted to know if you kind of have a rundown of people who are going to explore some of this breath work as well as medicine and what, you know, where do they start? Like what breath work is a good beginnings place and what type of medicine would be best for certain things that they're looking to heal and, you know, a general overview of that. Yeah. So if people are looking to get started in this work, um, especially if you have no previous psychedelic experience, I would say breathwork is a great introduction because breathwork can bring you into a non-ordinary state. Um, so there are some different breathwork practices that are really simple and supportive of your healing and your well-being. One of the, those being diaphragmatic breathing. So just maybe bringing your hands to your belly, one to your chest. And taking those deep belly breaths, which is actually using just the diaphragm, the muscle of the diaphragm to expand the lungs down. Um, that is probably number one. So anyone that's listening to this, you know, try that out right now or try it out when you're at your desk later in the day or tomorrow, or when you feel stressed, that will really help to calm the nervous system. Um, another one I love is called the physiological sigh, which is a double inhale through the nose. Exhale through the mouth. This also helps to reset the nervous system if you are like in a moment of crisis. Um, four, seven, eight breathing is a great practice, especially for sleep, where you inhale for four, you hold your breath for seven, and you exhale for eight. So always try and have a longer exhale than inhale. Um, that can be really supportive of calming the body and the mind. And then um, in terms of psychedelic work. It depends really on what you're looking to improve or if you've had a previous diagnosis, ketamine requires you to have a previous diagnosis. Um, Other medicines are still unfortunately illegal in most places, maybe are becoming decriminalized, Um, but you could seek a facilitator or a guide or even somewhere out of the country. Psilocybin can be really supportive with depression and anxiety as well as MDMA. Um, And 
yeah, if anyone is interested, I have my upcoming course, Dreaming Breathwork Experiential, launching on May 2nd, where we really go through all of these practices each week, virtually for six weeks in support of community. And that can really uh, help be a bridge into this world. Awesome. Thank you so much.